You're taking me somewhere to kill me. No, I'm taking you someplace to talk. You are not in Kansas anymore. Is there something special about today? All I have for you is a word. Life, uh, finds a way. Tell it. This is the way. This is the way. Welcome back to What We Watched, a podcast where we discuss and deep dive into some of the latest movies, shows, as well as upcoming news in the film industry. First thing we're going to talk about, though, is WandaVision Episode 7. Sam, what were your thoughts? Uh, it was, uh, it was a good episode overall. I enjoyed it. It was um, kind of... It's hard because uh, a lot of the big moments in this episode were things that we've, you know, really talked about a lot already and so it wasn't quite as exciting I guess as it, it probably could have been mm-hmm. but I think that's also just because you know we've been keeping up so much with the show yeah um, following things so I did still really enjoy it um, and it was good to see to get kind of a, a reveal and you know who is going to be our our main villain which we're going to talk about later right but uh, yeah overall still a pretty decent episode in my mind what about you I liked it. Um, I had a couple of problems just with the vibe of this show. Um, we were kind of discussing what show it reminded us of. I thought it, re- it was trying to kind of play as a modern family. I thought Wanda seemed very much like a Claire Dumphy, um, which I, I liked. It's just, it didn't, for me, it didn't work as well as um, past episodes did with the types mm. of shows that they were trying to be. Yeah. I thought that. Um, the jokes that they made for that era of show, even though it reminded me of those types of shows, I still thought it was funny. I didn't really. Fu- I found this humor to be more cringy. I didn't really laugh along with it. Mm. Um, I liked the episode. I I, I like the reveals that happened in the episode, but it definitely. Um, it, it's probably the first one where I kind of left think feeling a little disappointed. Yeah, I can see that, and I know we talked about that with the last one where you said the jokes, you didn't feel like the jokes were hitting as much, right? and that kind of like Malcolm in the Middle style sitcom. And Malcolm in the Middle is a good, uh, that's a good comparison. For that one, yeah, I, I, and it's, for this one, it's again, it's like almost the the recency of it, and just like comparing it to the sitcoms that we watched as kids, you know, growing up and stuff like that, I feel like it, it's harder to, I don't know, it's harder to see and enjoy yeah. some of the moments, and because it's like... You're trying to compare it to your favorite shows, right? And so I feel like it loses a little bit when you when you are thinking that. But what's also what I didn't think about is I think another reason why this type of show didn't work as well for me was other shows that they've tried to uh, portray themselves as. Um, Wanda is a very similar character in them. This one, she was a much more like mm. not necessarily depressed, but unhappy mom that she oh, was yeah. playing as whereas in the others I felt like she was pretty uppity and positive mm-hmm. very similar and that I mean part of that to me was I mean she is losing control over what's going on which is pretty apparent um, so I, I guess that's kind of where her character's changing because you know she can't just be the happy joyful mom all the time because clearly things are kind of crumbling in her perfect little you know white picket fence right. American dream world so it was, yeah, it was not as enjoyable of a character to watch, I guess, but the transition, I feel like, was necessary, especially to get to where you know, where it's going to end, like, mm-hmm. where the climax is going to be. 
I also had hoped, uh, kind of moving forward in the episode, I had kind of hoped that with Vision, um, once he broke Darcy's trance that she was in, and I know that you had kind of had a problem with Darcy's trance, and you thought that <laughs> she should have had more of a awakening, like freaking out, more backlash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have as much of a problem with that, but what I kind of hoped for was, I don't know, more of a emotional episode when it came to these two characters because I thought Vision was going to learn a lot more about what's going on on the outside. Mm -hmm. I just felt like the scenes with them together were going to be um, just more serious. That's and true. at serious moments, the the music of the TV show that it was trying to be kept going on in the background and distracted me some. Mm -hmm. um, but then at times, they would change the music into a more suspenseful, like, WandaVision um, sound, which I liked. I just wish they did more of that. I also didn't really care for Quicksilver in this one. I thought yeah. he was going to be a, a better character to 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 watch, like he was uh, on the last episode. I definitely liked him in the last episode a lot more than this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, going going off of your uh, your whole thing with the Darcy Vision moments. Yeah. I mean, I I totally wish that we'd have seen some more series and more you know, history learning, like, we, we just didn't get a whole lot from her, because Darcy clearly has learned a lot looking through Swords files and different things like that, so I feel like she would have been able to inform Vision about a lot more, get mm -hmm. him, you know, caught up to speed on what's going on outside, as well as fill him in a lot of the details, because she really didn't, all she really told him was just that she, like, died, and then she was like, but your love, or he died, she was like, oh, your love is real with Wanda, mm -hmm. right, which was, it was a nice moment, mm -hmm. but I guess part of that's probably just the, the actress who plays her, Kate Dennings, is just, like, probably not as serious. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, it just, it wouldn't have worked, I don't think, if we would have seen, like, more, like, heartfelt conversation. I, as I guess that's a good point. Yeah. But it was, it, they, I mean, they definitely tried to get a little bit too joking with that whole thing. And and some of it, I liked. Some of the bits were okay. Uh, I actually kind of liked Talking to it. the camera bit. Talking to the camera a bit. I was okay. I like that. And and I thought it was funny whenever uh, he was saying, like, Vision was... Or uh, Wanda was trying to stop... Which, actually... So, was Wanda trying to stop Vision from getting back? Or do you think Agnes was trying to stop her from getting, him from getting back? Um, you know what I'm thinking? Because, like... Because I guess Vision could have helped stop it. Is yeah, because Vision, Vision would have been, like, there But, to... I mean, Vision's so easily manipulated in the show thus far. I, I feel like Agnes wouldn't have actually had a problem with it. Mm. My thought is... It was a TV bit, and Wanda just didn't, you know, want him home right okay. away. I don't know. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that. But I had neither. I was just thinking about that. I um, just feel like Agnes has been in control of the entire thing, and she could have easily handled Vision, mm -hmm. you know, when it when the time came. Which I guess we should say, go ahead and say, uh, the reveal in this episode was the fact that Agnes... It's Agatha uh, Harkness. Agatha Harkness, the witch who, uh, at one point in the comics, was a mentor to Wanda. We'll see what plays out there, but... She was revealed to be the kind of mastermind uh, behind the scenes on everything uh, that's going on here within the Hex. Um, I, I know that we had said, I, I have a problem, I, I don't know, I'm still conflicted on why I have a problem with it. I think that it was so predictable that that's who she was, that therefore, yeah, therefore I, I think it should have been introduced in like episode four, but I guess, again, like... In terms of where the show is at, they didn't want to introduce that in the beginning of the show. They wanted the conflict to come towards the end of the show. But why I was annoyed is that they only 
It was towards the very end of the episode that Agnes revealed herself as Agatha Harkness. Again, we already knew it, so I wanted there to be more time for her to do more in the show, to show her plan, what, what she's been doing, yeah. because then I would be okay with it. Mm-hmm. But I felt like they, they just... That episode was just her introducing who she was, which we already knew. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a waste. It did, because, yeah, I mean... And again, look, we definitely have been following the show a lot more intently than... A lot of viewers, but there were so many clues. So and many clues. So many. Like, it, it was something that was almost hard to ignore at a certain point. Right. That she was clearly, you know, someone else. And then, I mean, literally a quick Google search and you would have found it in like. And when it's seconds. broken up into episodes, of course, everyone, of course, Disney knows that that secret is going to be uncovered mm-hmm. relatively soon. Absolutely. So I just felt, I had assumed that her reveal would have come along with some more details about her and her plot in that episode. Yeah. But we're going to have to wait until next week, so. We are, and and that's something that I want to talk about at some point, uh, you know, about her plan and kind of get your thoughts on, you know, what she's going to be trying to do, but I want to talk about the whole, like, Hex situation real quick. Um, I want to ask you, do you think that her, ex- that Wanda expanding the Hex was is the reason behind her losing control over everything do you mm. think like how everything's kind of changing into different eras you know pieces of the house were shifting or just like disappearing entirely like she can like control a certain area yeah well, yeah like i'm thinking the more territory that she's now Covers. has to control it's like do you think that's the reason why she's losing control or do you think that she is kind of starting to just lose her mind in general. And I think it's... I, I, I don't think it's like a, lo- a logistics thing. I think it's more she's losing her mind. You think so? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I, I would think that that's what that is. I would think so, and I think that was... I feel like that's what they were going for with the whole, like, she was, like, taking a mental break, like, taking, like, a day to herself. Um, that's the way I definitely saw it, but it was it was just weird to see all the different eras and like all the different pieces from different because, times because if we're going to consider that earlier in the show when the uh the um what's the big bird what was uh, that the stork the stork yeah if we're going to consider that moment in the episode with the stork where she couldn't get it to go away was uh, a hint at her losing control then that was before she expanded the hex That's true. so i would think that it's it's something going on in her mind uh-huh that's probably what it is yeah, that's definitely true. Cause she I, and she's had a couple of moments where she's definitely lost control before, and I, that definitely would be due more to her just yeah yeah not being able to control what's going on around her. Yeah, um, with uh, going back to the Agatha stuff too, um, one of the probably the only moment that I really thought was uh, I don't know like kind of horrific was um, the kids. We didn't see what happened to the kids mm-hmm. when Wanda went downstairs. So I am curious. That's a kind of a good tease into the next episode. I am curious to see what's going to happen to Wanda's kids. Yeah. I did like that. Um, and then they did tease whatever that book was that was under the spell. It looked like um, in Agatha's dungeon or whatever. Um, yeah. Her little sex But still, just too much had... mystery. Yeah, there was. And... The whole dungeon and, like, reveal and, you know, Wanda coming over there and, like, kind of piecing things together and then going down there. Like, man, she was so caught off guard. It's like, she's been so on top of Yeah, you of had no idea. For the entire, yeah, for this whole time, like, 
she wasn't even remotely prepared. Even Vision was suspicious. Yeah. Remember, he even said to her, like, did you really not see what a- what Agnes just did in that one episode when she's like, you want to run it back to the top or whatever? Yeah. Like, I mean, and again, maybe that's part of Agnes having, like, uh, I don't know, her, her hold over Wanda. Like, yeah. she's, uh, what's the word? Like, um, fogging up her, her vision when it comes to Agnes. That could be it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Especially if this whole thing is because of Agnes, uh-huh. I can see. Well, another thing I like too is when Wanda is talking to the camera, and the cameraman says, "Do you think maybe this is happening because you deserve it?" Yeah, I thought that was cool. Like it that was. felt like a deep uh, moment. I mm-hmm. liked that. And yeah, Wanda definitely did not enjoy that either. And, and that gave me Ultron vibes too. Like this is revenge for oh, what yeah. happened with Ultron. And. And it's, uh, that's something that, again, I think we're going to hear more about is the, the Ultron. I feel like that's going to have to come into play at some point right. within the next two episodes. Um, but I guess one piece, another clue that, that Wanda's clearly just kind of losing her mind was the commercial that mm-hmm. we're watching it, like the, the whole Nexus commercial for antidepressants. Like, mm-hmm. That's just another piece that she's clearly just past her, her limits. Yeah. And is going to need some some serious recovery, some serious saving. Yeah, it's no it's no uh this is probably the only commercial that's actually giving us a hint at Wanda's state of mind. Yeah. Cuz the other ones were just kind of like teases to stuff happening outside in Marvel. Mm-hmm. This one was definitely like where she's at, where where her headspace is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, moving outside of the hex though, Slightly disappointed with the uh, the Monica Rambo reveal with you know who her engineer just turned out to be basically like an Air Force oh. lady, which I guess isn't that big of a problem because they've had a deep. I mean like the bringing in Pietro um, as Evan Peters was a pretty big like character drop, so I guess to bring in another new character, if whether or not that was going to be like John Krasinski or someone else. May- like, that would have been, like, a lot in, within a couple episodes span. I guess. But I was still a little disappointed, and it was just, it's so weird to think that she has, Monica has such a pull with the Air Force that she can call in this entire team and get this super specialized truck and suit, and, like, she just literally, like, came back from the dead, like, a week ago. You know, that, and, uh... Like, what you just said, I, I totally didn't even realize that that was the person that she had texted. Yeah. I thought when we were watching the episode, I was like, oh, we're just not going to... That person hasn't arrived yet. I didn't even realize that that was the person she had contacted. Wow, that really is... Isn't it dis- That it's really is letdown. disappointing. It's a big letdown. Because that was really talked about on the internet, about who is this engineer that she knows of. And I was heavily convinced it was going to be Jim Halpert as... Uh, Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, I mean, a lot of people thought that, and I think people just were expecting a bigger reveal in general, but I, I really can't be that upset about it. I was just more kind of disturbed by the fact that she was able to call together her own team within, like, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, she literally just, like, came back from the dead, like, a week ago, and she was able to have this kind of pull, mm-hmm. which was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, going off of the technology that was introduced for Monica Rambo, her vehicle and all of that, we get into stuff that really doesn't make any sense. Like, they thought this vehicle... Well, first of all, 
when he says, is this going to work? And she's like, well, yeah, she's totally getting through. We knew it wasn't going to work. And it doesn't work. But then she gets out of the vehicle and runs through it without any explanation. So I have no idea what's going on in her mind. I guess she thinks that since her cells have already changed, she's not going to be affected going back into it. But no one thought that. I mean, even Darcy had said, we have no idea what's going to happen if you go back through that hex. But she's, she was still concerned enough that she got this truck. So it's like, in the time period right. that it took her to drive through right. and then jump out of that truck, she had changed her mind and been like, nah, I'm not even worried and about it And she wasn't even concerned enough to put her helmet put on. Put the helmet on. I was, I know... Like, it was right there. She was that convinced that this decision she's making is going to pan out perfectly. And now she gets powers. We knew at some point Monica was going to get superpowers because of the comics. This, I feel, also disappointed in as an, a lame introduction into how she gets her superpowers. Because this feels like, I don't know, a technique everyone around the Hex can use to get their powers. I was just going to say, they I, it's something, and we talked about that briefly in a couple episodes ago... They just need to be careful with the cell mutation thing because anyone it could can open do up this. So many plot holes. So and many plot holes. So many plot holes. But as long as they really like solidify that it was because of some extraordinary thing within her, or maybe you know some. Do they just they need to have some quick little? I mean, like one liner explanation, just something to give us a rationale why she individually is different yes. than the other people. They would. Well, that, and I guess, you know, this hex is going to get destroyed at some point. No one's going to have the opportunity to do what Monica did. Mm -hmm. So that is also the thought process. Um, But it's more silly for me to imagine, okay, if Darcy accidentally does the exact same thing Monica does, she could also get powers. It's just weird. She could, yeah, exactly. It's the thought of that I don't like. Exactly. Um, it's just a little bit too easy. And the slow-mo scene when she goes through the hex and the voices that, that she hears cool. from herself. You liked it? I, I didn't mind it. I, I minded it because I didn't understand what any of the dialogue meant. It didn't mm. mean anything to me. Yeah. And it, like it was Tony Stark going through it and it had stuff from past movies, like really important scenes. Uh-huh. It would be emotional to me. But yeah. I've still kind of just now met Monica. I don't know anything about her. Yeah. I had no idea what they were even talking about when she was going through it. It definitely was not as emotional as I think they thought it was going to mm-hmm. be, you know? Mm-hmm. But I didn't Felt really rushed. hate it that much. And I mean, I guess it was just a slow transition to, you know, make you think about her getting powers or whatever, yeah. which I do, I think her powers are kind of cool. What are your thoughts on like the whole like electromagnetic, uh, she can like see electromagnetic waves and I'm, I'm assuming probably be able to control them. Yeah, in think. some way. I mean, she took that blast from Wanda and then had a cool superhero landing. So she's got some type of powers. I don't know. I'm still super confused what they are and what they mean. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I guess, cool that she has powers of some kind that we can finally see. Um, Again, that's I I I want to see what they do with it next week. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I am glad that she wasn't just like immediately aware of her ability, or like she she's aware of her abilities. Yeah. But she's not like I'm just glad that they didn't like give her like mastery in it. Like yeah, you know, like they at least kind of left her as like a a new, um, you know. An experienced sure. superhero, I guess. You know, as we're kind of rewatching this episode, too, after the Hex, and then they go back to now Vision and Darcy, 
kind of makes me think of another problem that I had with the with this episode, and it might be the glaring problem that I had with this episode, which is the fact that I think it changes tones too often. Like, it just got really serious with Monica having that slow-mo scene. Now she's running after Wanda, get to, Wanda to get to her house. Mm-hmm. And now we have some exposition and it's some serious dialogue with Vision and Darcy, but it's still under the theme of the TV show that it's trying to be. I think they go back and forth with that too much in this episode. And we're in episode 7, too. I want it to get more serious. Yeah. I want this style to get abandoned for the most part. Yeah. And I... And I guess we're going to see storylines begin to merge even more within the coming uh, next two episodes. But yeah. the fact that we just had like... The final I guess two like episodes. Four, I mean, we really had like four storylines that we're following in this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the fact that you really want to focus on one. Like, you know, you get excited about one or something mm-hmm. big just happened. And then you cut to one that it's just like there's not a lot going on like this. And especially because they didn't do very much with the whole Darcy no. vision, you know, riding with, in the ice cream truck scene. No. There wasn't a whole lot there. Well, and it bothers me, too, because Darcy's no longer, or she shouldn't any longer be under the manipulation of this world. But they all clearly still are, since they kind of, like, he winds up talking to the cameras again. He's like, well, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. But it also still feels like it's just a bit. I would appreciate it more now that, you know, for the most part, most of the cast in the hacks is aware of their surroundings and what's going on that they're just like all right fuck this let's start you know dealing with what the problem is mm-hmm. i would appreciate that more yeah like it made sense the first few episodes people are vision in particular is figuring out what's going on but now he understands so we shouldn't have to follow the script of this show yeah that is totally true but and i mean they were that was a moment that i kind of liked you know a little breaking the fourth wall or whatever yeah but it just, it, it did also still feel unnecessary. And I would have liked it more if the jokes didn't feel forced, the characters that they were trying to be, especially Wanda. Wanda's mm-hmm. character that she tried to be just felt forced. I like how also Wanda has just like given up on trying to hide her abilities at all. Like Completely. it's not even like remotely a secret. But it she, doesn't mean anything to anyone that lives in the hex. Like they're completely manipulated. But it's just like the whole facade is like literally just it's just over. Right. You know. But again, that's also the the vibe that this episode was trying to give off with the fact that like physical objects are changing eras. I mean, that's also a giveaway that I mean, it's this is all a facade, yeah. you know. So I, I don't have a huge problem with the fact that she's showing her powers as much as she is now. Um I don't know. I, I, I just had a lot of issues with this episode. I know, I know. And the thing was, it it was still good. It's just it was good again, like how how closely we've been following it. I think that some of the expectations that we had for this episode. I mean, when I'm thinking of like, and I'm comparing this to how I used to watch like Game of Thrones, where it was like ninth episode, generally like the eighth and ninth episodes were like huge you know climax like big moments Mm -hmm. tons of stuff happened and so like seven and eight in this to me were like the moments like that was supposed to be a lot of like the climax and stuff sure nine you know also continuing the climax with some resolution sure it just still felt like we were still just continuing the slow build and it's like you kind of just get it's not draining but it's just it's a lot after we've waited waited so long and you know we've we've talked about this so much and it's like 
I think maybe that's just on us because we built our expectations yeah. up for it. And I don't want to like, I don't know, I don't want to press too hard on the things that I disliked to make it sound like I didn't like the episode because yeah. I did. Yeah. I did like the episode. I do like the show. And as far as I'm concerned, episode eight and nine could really pull it all together and make me really enjoy the episode, like this episode, a lot more when I rewatch it. Absolutely. It's, again, at the end of the day, it's all about the ending. If it's a good ending, I will be very happy with this show. Yeah. And if the villain has, you know, motives that I can really understand, like if Agatha Harkness really has a good background to her character, I'm all on board. Mm -hmm. I just need to be shown that in episode eight and nine. I agree. And I still think Ultron, at some point, maybe next episode, is also going to be shown to have involvement in this. And in the play. I, I think so as well. And that's going into something that I want to kind of start to talk about is is thoughts on 8 and 9 or thoughts on just well I just want to get your thoughts on what you think Agatha's um, goals are what her objective is with this like mm -hmm. do you think that she is trying to take some of Wanda's power do you think that she was trying to just I don't know control or just show off her abilities like you know wh why is she no. why did she reveal herself the way that she did I think Agatha what are, you, what are your thoughts I think Agatha in some way uh, was um, affected by the actions of something that Wanda did in her past okay. and she's trying to get back at her but I also think that there is another villain at play here and um, it's either Ultron or it's either the head of sword Hayward or they're both the same because we're definitely going to learn more about eight, in 8 and 9 about what um, Sword Hayward specifically, his motives are for Vision. Because there's definitely something that they want Vision for some yes. reason. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing that I'm really curious to learn about. But as far as Agnes goes, or Agatha goes, she has to know Wanda in some way and have you know a, a grudge against her in order to do these things. I don't think that she's just come across Wanda and she wants to absorb her power. She's been fucked over by Wanda in the past somehow. I would agree. I think to me the whole the whole uh, like going down in the basement and there was like the book of spells or whatever that yeah. was and everything. To me I I think that she is trying to like basically turn Wanda into like a puppet maybe Ooh. because like I I think that she's going to try to just control her and use her um to get something that she wants. I don't yeah. know necessarily what it is, but it felt like she was going to, you know, cast some spell or do some type of, like, uh, some type of, you know, magical right. enchantment on her or the kids as well, maybe. Well, and it's really interesting, too, because Wanda was engineered uh, with the Infinity, with one of the Infinity Stones, whereas Agnes, for whatever reason, I just, she doesn't feel, she feels like a true witch. She does. She doesn't feel like she was given her powers by something. It feels like she was born with it, or she's not from around here. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. And it was, it was a really, I mean, dark, kind of creepy fucking dungeon. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it was very, very creepy, and Agatha seems to be super powerful, so, like, you know, where did her powers come from? Like, what is she trying to do? And does she have any connection with the um, order of magicians in Doctor Strange? She could. Because the whole, the book thing, just kind of rewatching this again, makes me think of in Doctor Strange whenever he's looking at all those like ancient oh, like, yeah. texts, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, that the ancient one has. Um, it reminds me of that for sure. And and the her purple 
magic mm-hmm. looks like the uh, the dark magic that uh, the villain uh-huh. in Mamuto or whatever his yeah. name was looks like that kind of dark uh-huh. magic that he it was does using look like that, that that purple stuff. So maybe she's accessing some type of um, you know dark universal magic. I like that because there has to be some tie. I would think tie so. in with this and Doctor Strange I aside from Wanda so. being in it. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, that would definitely connect. I mean. Because the Multiverse of Menace, like, yeah, you just said, it is, has to have some type of connection and would really bring Doctor Strange into the fold because he would have a true villain to fight against. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, too, is when Agatha says that this that it was all her, she did everything, they show her um, working her magic on uh, Petra Quicksilver. So is that a hint that she's manipulating Petra or is it a hint that she just kind of created Petra out of thin air and was manipulating him with Wanda I know I had thought about that and I I hate that she just created him because again that comes back to my whole point of why would they cast Evan Peters for uh-huh. if that was the case uh-huh. it just doesn't make sense like why would you screw with the fans you know minds like that mm-hmm. like recasting him across MCU lines. I hope that it's more so Wanda in some way did bring Petra to the Hex and then after that happened Agatha manipulated him. Manipulated him. I, I hope yes. that that's what it is. I really do too. Because it needs to be they, I, I really want it to be a tie-in with the multiverse like that's how they got Absolutely. Evan Peters Quicksilver into this. It would just be such a disappointing it reveal would be. if their whole thing was that they just physically recast him and it has nothing to do with Also Episode 7 being the first episode to actually have a mid credit scene. Ooh, I was I super know. disappointed that that oh. was the credit scene. Are you kidding me? I thought it was yeah. so dumb. It didn't show anything. But it's it's so different because, I mean, this is the first Marvel show we've had that, like, it, it's it's just difficult because when I'm comparing it to other in credit scenes, it's yeah. like, those are always hinting Teases at, Teases like, the next movie. Next movie. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, with this... Teasing the next episode, it, you can't. You have to just be like a little bit more reserved with it. You can't just like. But like, give us something where we can look it up on the internet, almost. You yeah. know, like like maybe she opens the book and it shows a spell, a spell that we're familiar with, or something. Something. Because all it was was cool. Monica's obviously gonna find this dungeon. We already knew that, and mm-hmm. I guess we see that Evan Peters is still we in it. That's kind of cool. But it wasn't. You know, it it just it. It, that disappointed me, too. Uh-huh. I will be curious to see whether or not they bring Ralph back into it as well, because as we saw in that one brief moment, I think it was episode five, uh, or maybe it was episode six, during the Halloween episode, where Ralph kind of has a break in the uh, in, of consciousness as well when he says something to Wanda out in the street, um, making it seem kind of like he also has some type of awareness, because... I mean, he's married to in, in the. It's his name, Ralph. Ralph, her husband. Yeah. That's his name in it. I believe so. Yeah. Oh. Um, just whether or not he's gonna have some relevance moving forward as well. Yeah, yeah, that's something. Um, but I he also, wasn't in the episode. And he wasn't. Well, he was. Husband. I mean, he was when she was saying that she controlled everything. They showed him with oh, the. That's right. That's so right. that it hinted at us that she was just fucking with his mind too that's probably true mm-hmm. I'd be a little disappointed just because we did have that one moment of like breaking character I guess could be Wanda, but, yeah um, who knows no I can definitely see that but I think that if he did have relevance relevance, he would have also appeared in that dungeon with Agatha 
Probably. If it was, if they were a duo or something. Partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think, uh, going back to that mid-credits scene, do you think Pietro is still working for Agnes? Because we know that she was controlling him at least at the beginning, when she when he comes up to the door initially, mm-hmm. and when he sees did he knock her out or did he just scare her? He didn't. No, he didn't knock her. out. He just yeah, kind of scared her, spooked her. Do you think that she is going to continue to use him as like a little? No, I think uh, maybe that was part of the giveaway too in the credit scene was hinting that Quicksilver is gonna help Monica. Because okay. I think that if I think that if it was Quicksilver is still working for Agatha, they would have showed him kind of knock out Monica at the very end of the scene. That would have made sense if that's what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I think he's, and that might further prove uh, the fact that he is real. I think he is on her side at this point. Yeah, I hope so. Okay, well, uh, as we're kind of wrapping things up, let's end on a positive note because I think we can both say that we still. Um, are pretty happy with the show overall so yes. let's just go ahead and say like highlight of the episode for you like what was your favorite moment as well as who's your favorite character this episode mm, favorite favorite character um maybe agatha i know we talked a lot of shit we did talk but a lot of shit. i don't know i i mean i love the character that she has played in this show Absolutely. I think she's whenever it's uh, she's in a scene. I think she's the star of that scene, mm-hmm. and I think she's a good. I think she can be a good villain. So I would say that she is my favorite character in it, and probably my favorite moment would also be um, the reveal of her as Agatha going into the dungeon. Seeing we got little tidbits of mm-hmm. stuff in the background that she's collected. That maybe hints at you know who she is or what her plans are. Yeah. But I would say that that moment, that scene, um, and that character were, were my favorite. Yeah. Just because it was like like fuck, finally, like you know, finally she came out as Monica that. with powers was cool. Yeah. But I didn't like the setup with her showing her with her getting her powers, and I also don't know what her powers are, uh-huh. so it didn't impact me as much. Yeah. And well. Makes me feel bad about saying it now, because I was going to say, she was probably, Monica was my favorite uh, part of this episode. Sorry. Just because, yeah, I know, right? Disappointing. Um, because I do really like her powers, and I'm excited to see what comes of it. Yeah. I mean, Agatha obviously was super dope, but again, that was something that we've mulled over so much. And we really haven't even talked about Monica and her superhero relevance yet. Like, we talked no. about how the fact that we knew that that was coming. She's gonna we have power. Definitely yeah. fleshed out the Agatha uh, storyline more. So We did. I was pretty excited about the the Monica thing just because it felt just a little bit more um, more of like a reveal to me. Yeah. Okay. Because it was something that I wasn't waiting as much for. And then I guess that the highlight would be the moment when like you realize you know, her eyes turn blue and you see her, um, you know, basically Come into her the new power. vision, her new, yeah, yeah, the new energy that Which she, she has. can recognize, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, well, I'm excited for episode eight. Um, do you have anything else you want to add about this episode? Uh, no, just yeah, excited for episode eight and nine. Ready to, ready to see what Agatha's got under her sleeves. Yeah, me too. Okay, um, so Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, did you like it? Yes, I did. I mean, I, I thought it was a really good movie. I really enjoyed the cast. I think what really honestly tied things together for me was 
the end when they're going through and he, this happens a lot when the story's based on a true story when they go through and they give them the facts away of like what mm-hmm. actually happened mm-hmm. in real life and I was kind of looking up stuff on, on my phone as well when that was happening just about it and I mean just seeing all that stuff and reading all of that stuff about what really happened and thinking back on moments throughout the movie yeah really tied things together for me and, yeah. and oh, I think made me appreciate it more yeah about you well, I took a lot of notes during this movie and kind of, I really enjoyed it. And before talking about like the character performances and the actors that I enjoyed in it, I just kind of wanted to give like an overview of like how I felt and what I learned watching the movie, which is that this movie didn't tell me, I, I, I feel like this movie didn't tell me how to feel, but told uh, the audience um, how, to, how to feel during this time and how tense things were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that not all cops are necessarily bad guys. But the heads of law enforcement, like the head of the FBI in this movie certainly were, which encouraged law enforcement overall to behave morally wrong. Um, The morality and ethical principles of the Black Panthers were not two-dimensional. You know, like, you're not automatically supposed to side or not side with the Black Panthers. They obviously had um, their own moral code, which Mm -hmm. you can and can't agree with if you'd like. I really liked Martin Sheen's performance as J. Edgar Hoover. I didn't know a whole lot about J. Edgar Hoover, and this movie really spent a lot of time um, showing us that he was a racist, plain and simple. At the start of the movie, we we think that the FBI believes that the Black Panthers are a terrorist threat, but then later on, when they have them to the KKK, right? And yeah, but later on, we realize that there's that scene where he asks Agent Mitchell. Um, if his daughter were to bring a black man home, what would you do? I hate and it's that, that like scene. I mean, plain it's just, and simple. It's such a right, cringy. I mean, right, so bad. I mean, plain and simple. Told us Hoover doesn't give a fuck about what the Black Panthers represent. He just hates black people in general. So that really, um, that was a big piece to the movie for me. I just really liked getting more insight on the dirty, nitty gritty, like unlawful things the FBI were willing to do and did do to take down um, Black Panther like organizations at in states. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I really enjoyed this movie. That's, I mean, you bring up a lot of points because they did so much for like world building, and it's really not world building because it's based off a true story, but they did so much to give background and detail and description into the world as it truly was during mm-hmm. that time period because, you know, looking back for us at least, you know, this was 40, 50 years ago, so it's like, it's hard, I think, for us to a lot of times relate to the circumstances back then. Right. As well as just the types of relationships that people would have had with each other. So I think they did a really good job of building that up for us uh-huh. and then letting you as a viewer, yeah, decide on you know, what, you, how you would take the, you know, what their actions are, like, you know, how moral are they actually being, because right. I can't even necessarily say that they painted the Black Panthers in, like, a super positive light, necessarily, because right. they definitely showed a lot of the, yeah, like, nitty-gritty of what went on, mm-hmm. but it's, like, at the core, you still understand, like, what their objective was, mm-hmm. and, and Fred Hampton was, you know, truly a person who cared about the people yes and just you know wanted what was best for everyone at yes. the end of the day because i mean one of my favorite scenes was when he came into that uh that southern like the, the oh the white yeah church you yes know? 
and then spoke and like had everyone's attention, everyone's ear. You know, he spoke so calmly mm-hmm. and that was a powerful scene. Together. It was super powerful to see that he could persuade that. white racists. Mm-hmm. You know, that was to really join cool. together. But that also kind of goes into another thing that I wanted to add, which was there's different ways that you can look at this movie. Like on a macro level, this movie was about you know the FBI doing whatever they could possibly do to eliminate Chairman Hampton, Fred Hampton. But on the surface, this was a movie about the charisma, like you were talking about when he walked into the like the white church or the the Confederate um, building, the charisma of and charm of Fred Hampton and the things that he stood for. And then on the other side. It was about someone and what they would do when they're faced with two options, one of them being prison, um, which was kind of more relatable to the audience because it it was confusing how, how we felt like we should feel about the character of William O'Neill. Um, because Wild Bill. Wild Bill. Because throughout a lot of the movie, I don't know what I would have done necessarily if I was faced with five to six years in prison or I could do this work which also I am rewarded for I get money for and also keeps me out of prison and then at a certain point he got so in the movie it felt like he got so caught up in and deep into this organization that he feared for his life if he were to leave mm-hmm. or he feared going back to prison mm-hmm. so let's uh, let's rewind a little okay. bit and just give some kind of background on William O'Neill mm-hmm. um, talk me through his character yeah. talk me yes. through his origin, you know, where we yeah. see him when we start the movie. Right, so Bill O'Neill starts in the movie um, uh, playing as an FBI agent and walks in and um, tries to steal a car. That's kind of his business is instead of showing a gun, he believes in showing a badge because obviously he thinks a badge is more powerful. It's less likely that everyone, anyone would even pull a gun on him, which I totally agree with because I don't think anyone wants to kill an FBI agent. They know what's going to be rain down on him. He, of course, gets caught by police, and the FBI tell him what what charges he's facing, and if he does comply, he has two options. One, go to prison, or the other, become a um, an informant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how he gets into the situation, and uh, he forms sort of a mentorship with Agent Mitchell, who gives him his objectives, which is that he needs to infiltrate this group of Black Panthers in Illinois, you know, get on Fred Hampton's good side and give us information that helps us get warrants and um, further evidence that this is a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. So that's classic kind of the background. Case. Yep. I mean, it's just like, it's something that I feel like gets kind of, I don't know, cast to the side a lot of times when you consider uh, like CIs working, you know, like, like informants working for government organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about this because I've watched it in the wire a lot, but it's like, Mm. it's terrible when you think about how, you know, law enforcement and different like organizations like that manipulate and use these people and, you know, turn them against themselves basically to work for them and, you know, do what they want. Because yeah, I mean, he clearly, he had him trapped and like, he gave him no out. Like his whole, his whole point about why... Bill, like, had to continue going through with this because it was like, well, if you don't, I'm just going to out you. And right. And they're going to torture you, kill you, whatever it was. It was like he was just completely manipulated. Uh-huh. And if you think that sounds shady, I mean, at a certain point, too, Agent Mitchell discovers within the FBI they have another informant of which K-9 
killed one of the Black Panthers to save his own skin, mm-hmm. and the FBI knew that. They knew that their informant mm-hmm. murdered somebody, and they were totally okay with it. They thought that actually helped his situation, that helped the FBI situation yeah. in infiltrating the Black Panthers. Yeah, so it they was, used him. Yep. They then used him to find and like take out Black Panther hideouts throughout yep. the country. Yep. Or not even necessarily hideouts, but just, just literally give a reason to... Because he says that you know now... That we have a supposed, you know, killer in this place, we can get a warrant to go raid their location mm-hmm. and do it, I guess, technically legally. Mm-hmm. But it's like it was a setup mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Like it, it was, was a setup. It, it was a setup against the Black Panther organization. So it is, and and to you know know that because they're not gonna uh, elaborate on details like that when you're like you know portraying a true story. Right. So like to think that something like that happened mm-hmm. is is definitely sad to think about it just 50 years ago and it's also sad too like i mean a big reason why they needed informants was and maybe i'm maybe i was listening wrong but it sounded like one of the reasons that you have an informant is that it makes it easier for the fbi to obtain a warrant as long as their informant is there so which is kind of what helped at the end of it them raid fred hampton's building because bill o'neill was there is that I, I don't really understand how the raid uh, happened because they didn't. Bill O'Neill didn't give information other than the fact that he knew where they were. So I feel like he knew where they were. Then he called the FBI, and that's how the raid happened. Well, he knew what the, they they knew where the apartment was. He just had and to he like, had the blueprints already. Draw that's right. out the floor plan and stuff. Yeah, which is something that actually happened because I looked yep. up and I yep. saw the physical copy of the blueprint that he had drawn on a napkin yep. for him or whatever that was at the, yeah, the it was restaurant. A so it's like. To see to see that was was you know kind of uh, traumatic at least for I mean for for William to think about in real life mm-hmm. like that you know his person that so that's why he was in the building was so he could draw a blueprint is that why it was uh, I mean at the end at the end no, but no he already drew he the did, blueprint he, he before had left, and he had left and then he had left because he wasn't in the apartment because the raid was going to take place yeah so why was he in there at all was he just in there because he felt bad. Well, you had to left. give him the, the sleeping medicine. That's right. Put him to sleep. Uh-huh. Put him to sleep because he was going to die. That raid was happening either way. Yeah. Which and was they also... To, it was like basically an insurance policy mm-hmm. to guarantee that Fred would be there mm-hmm. and not be able to do anything do about anything. it. Um, which makes it even more grim that the raid, I mean, was completely illegal. Nothing happened in that building that warranted any sort of police, you know... Um, business and the raid on Hampton's building it just felt really it felt so wrong and heavily brings back the symbol that Bill says to Agent Mitchell about the power of a badge versus the power of a gun Um, the acts that the FBI were condoned to commit and methods that they were approved of using um, were like we said wildly illegal at times and yet totally and completely encouraged by J. Edgar Hoover, which is scary to see how law enforcement can get away with so much um, when you have the director of the Bureau not only giving you his blessing, but is actively encouraging you to carry out violence against black mm-hmm. people. And it was, it was very apparent that that kind, of, um, that kind of activity or that kind of you know, negligence of duty, like it, it followed down the chain of command because, I mean, Mitchell, we saw him you're decently conflicted with yeah. a lot of the stuff that he was doing, a lot of the actions he was having to take, especially with right. Bill and then with Hampton as well. So yeah. to see that, like, just the chain of command and how 
it flows down how it's like one bad apple mm-hmm. truly can ruin the whole basket like and you know the fact that Edgar was the way that he was basically caused Mitchell because I mean Mitchell had the ability to Agent Mitchell had the ability to you know stop what was happening you know say this is wrong you know maybe come did up. he though I mean like you don't you don't think he ever... that could be part of it too is as in my mind is I think he did have like he obviously had a sense that he did not believe in what was happening and I think part of that too is why he gave Bill that pill to give to Fred because he didn't agree with what was going to go down I think that's part of it um, but I also don't think that Mitchell really thought that he had any say or any any way of stopping what was going to go down. This was going to happen either way. If he had if he had said no to it, they would have put some other FBI agent in his place to talk to Bill, the informant. Mm-hmm. That was going to happen anyway. So I guess he was basically just acknowledging that it was going to happen and was right. just saving his own skin. But and what you said about how Mitchell did have problems, we've noticeably he has had problems in the movie about what was going on. Another thing that I liked about this movie was. Nothing, aside from J. Edgar Hoover, nobody felt two-dimensional. Like, people had their, their conflictions, which I think, to me, felt a lot more human because it, it, it was more immersive for me because, of course, that's how people are going to be. Mm-hmm. No one is, is completely good or completely bad yeah. or doesn't have a sense of, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is completely human. No, they did, a, yeah, they did a great job of humanizing characters on both sides yep. because you know seeing him with his family like his daughter yep you know that was really great seeing him at home and seeing hampton you know hanging out like i loved all the scenes where they were just like laughing talking in the car mm-hmm. um not such a serious vibe all the time because that definitely does uh again like humanize you more and and give you more insight into like the relationships that they had and yep just making them feel like real people which going back to how they felt like real people um just to applaud a couple of the people in the cast like daniel kaluuya as fred hampton was awesome i mean he stole the show that's if i had any problems with the movie it was the fact that um it felt like it really slowed down when he had to go to prison Mm -hmm. and there was less dialogue for him he was so entertaining throughout the whole movie so impactful because he had so much charm so much charisma such a good um, such good speaking skills. Yeah. But he was, like, of course, the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. I loved him in it. Martin Sheen, I thought was a great Jagger Hoover. Lakeith um, Stanfeld as Bill O'Neill. Jessica, uh, Jesse Plemons as Agent Mitchell. I love him and everything he does, you know, especially Breaking Bad. I mean, great cast. No, phenomenal cast. And uh, Lakeith Stanfield playing, playing Bill O'Neill, like, that... That character was super... I know you just kind of touched on Hampton, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think Bill, in terms of the movie, was equally as important of a, of a role because he was someone who... Pro- I, I think probably would I can say had the most screen time. Yeah. I mean, I, because you see him on both sides yes. of the page. So, right. you know, his ability to connect everything and give you these two drastically different, you know, performances. Like, you see him... I, you know, I loved when he was walking in with all that swagger to the restaurant uh-huh. to go talk to Mitchell. Uh-huh. And then it was like you turn around and he's like a, you know, he's a Black Panther and, right. you know, acting the way that he was. So it, just a great job on his part to be able to, to act both ways. And then, you know, whenever he was by himself, you know, he was like, he was always like fidgeting. He was always like nervous or something like that because he was just always putting on a face for either side. Sure. And you never actually saw how he was actually feeling. Sure. Unless he was by himself. Yep. Which I, I thought was a really good 
uh, performance overall. Another thing that I like too, and that I made note of, we talked about it a couple times. Um, in certain scenes, I really noticed the the idea of less is more, um, and specifically with two of the death scenes in the movie, Fred Hampton's towards the very end, with how the camera was um, sort of on the room that Fred was in with the agents shooting him, but they didn't directly explicitly show Fred get shot up. Mm-hmm. I thought that was more impactful and, and and handled well rather than the camera actually showing his gruesome death. I didn't think was necessary. No. I liked that. And I also liked, um, I didn't want to say liked, but I found the scene in the hospital too with the Black Panther that had been shot up and then held in the hospital and the police officers took him to some room to kill him. We just got like a two second glimpse of you know those police officers looking incredibly evil, pulling his gurney yeah. um, to a room and then that was it, that's all we saw. Mm-hmm. I liked those scenes a lot. Yeah, they did a, they did a very good job of handling the violence, I, I think overall. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the shootout at the uh, that steam plant or whatever mm-hmm. that was was a very dramatic I mean that was you know definitely one of the more intense moments of the movie yeah and I thought they also handled that super well yeah uh, just the you know the shots the cinematography and it. and like um, that's another thing to make note of too is whenever there was like an I don't know quote unquote action scene or like gun scene it never felt you know when you watch an action movie and you see good guys die and bad guys die, like you don't get that reaction to this movie. Like that scene in the shootout at like the factory or whatever with uh, Jake Winters when he's shooting those cops up. Like when you're seeing a cop die, of course, like I get it. Like the cops a lot and a lot of the officers in this movie were portrayed as dicks, but you still don't feel good seeing officers get shot because yeah. you don't know each officer that's getting killed in yeah. this movie. They could have completely normal motives, and, um, and that one that was like begging for his life at the end. Right. And that is, yeah. It was right. Super and sad to see. Exactly, and that's again um, that scene specifically again kind of goes back to the fact that no one is two dimensional, uh-huh. and just how much it just shows you how much violence is bred from racism, and yep. how much because it's like you know it, it's like dominoes how. You know, one event caused this event and this event, and it's like all of these innocent people, all yeah. these people that may not necessarily have bad motives or have, uh, you know, an agenda against another group got in the way and were just collateral damage of, you know, several individual people specifically calling out Edgar Hoover in this situation, right. how, you know, their opinions and their agenda brought so much destruction across mm-hmm. not just Chicago in this sense, but across America mm-hmm. entirely. Um. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and kind of going back to, like, um, how we, what we took away from this movie and what we got to experience in this movie, um, we got to kind of see under the umbrella of the Black Panther movement, as well as look inside the lens of how the FBI saw and handled black movements. I mean, that's really, uh, at a glimpse, what this whole movie reflected, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, kind of the last couple of points that I wanted to make too, you know, once the movie ended and we got to see the credits and see the real people that they were portraying, I thought it was so wild that Fred Hampton was only 21 years old. Mm-hmm. And at first I was thinking like, wow, that's so distracting that they got Daniel Kaluuya to play a 21-year-old because he looks so much older than a 21-year-old. But actual Fred Hampton looks 
I mean, like a he looks like a man. Like he's he, he looks like someone that could definitely be in his older twenties mm-hmm. or early thirties. Super cliche to say, but I mean, I think people just aged differently back then. Like it was just it's a mm. different time, and it was just I I think you had to have grown up faster back then mm-hmm. for sure. And definitely sounded very mature. I was reading a little bit on his background. Like he, uh, they were talking about how he, when he was like ten years old used to, like, host dinners for the kids in the neighborhood. Like, he has been very mature and just, like, he, he grew up very quickly, yeah. especially where he uh, was growing up in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be, mm-hmm. you know, acting the way they did. And just the fact that the his, uh, you know, the character played by Daniel Kluwet was so similar to how he was described in real life. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking about how you were talking about his charisma earlier... But like his speech making, you know, off the cuff speech making ability, yeah, uh, to be able to you know convince people or portray his emotions and thoughts, yep. was you know really good. Uh, the whole Rainbow Coalition thing again—that was, was yeah, that was cool. <laughs> was great, and just seeing all the different groups that were all also struggling with the same thing come together under one umbrella mm-hmm. uh, was just really good. <laughs> I really liked the crowns as well. They were yeah. kind of like the, uh, I don't want to say more of like the mafia, but like, you know, they were like the more hardcore uh, activist group. Mm-hmm. Like Black Panthers were definitely viewed as more like of a mild peacemaking group. Compared Crowns to were Crowns. armed to the teeth. Like those guys had, yeah, like they had basically like our own military. Yeah. Like they were, yeah, a, a force to be reckoned with. Right. Um, which is, is something, I guess, uh, why the Black Panthers were viewed in a negative light maybe as well. I don't know how accurate that whole crowns, the crown, um, I guess, yeah, their their appearance in the show, if it was the same way in real life. It was portrayed accurately. Like, yeah, because maybe that could give some of the rationale to why the Black Panthers were treated so harshly because they mm-hmm. expected them to be like how the crowns were armed to the teeth. But, yeah. you know what I'm saying? yeah. But also, it, it matters, too, if, if that FBI tactic that they used against the Crowns and Black Panthers, where they wrote that fake article or whatever Propaganda, that yeah. was supposed to be from the Black Panthers about how the Crowns are shit or whatever. I mean, I, I think they saw both of those organizations as very influential organizations, and they were trying to take... They were trying to have them go at each other that way it would reduce their presence that they were ha- their influence that they were having mm-hmm. on black residents. Yeah. So. Well, the one thing that, again, I, I took away from, from seeing the end was the fact that William O'Neill took his life uh, the first time that this story was documentary. actually aired. Yeah. With documentary um, back in the 80s, which is something that's just like, it's terrible to think about, but I mean, I can't imagine what he had gone through internally, you know, for the last like 20 years of his life, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that he caused, you know, Fred Hampton's death as well as countless others because yeah. of his actions. And it is hard because we, you know, we were, we haven't talked about like how there's so much gray area mm-hmm. in his character, but it's like the whole idea of what you would do if you were in his shoes. And, and it's just sad to think about that. Like, he truly felt like he had no other, you know, way out. Yeah. And, but again, like, it's important to note that, like, 
you know, anyone can have their own opinion on what they, how they interpreted Bill O'Neill's, like, I don't know, what he was facing, his motives, and what we would have done in our, in his shoes. Mm -hmm. Like, in our opinion, you know, we can see it as uh, he, he didn't have any other options, but I can see a lot of other people seeing him throughout the whole movie as being a piece of shit that should have started out taking the route of going to prison. I can see that. I can see people from the get-go thinking he's a horrible person and he deserved what he had coming to him and that the credit scene was supposed to further back the idea that he was always a piece of shit. But I saw it as, of course, he was conflicted and, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. And I I truly don't believe that whenever he started uh, kind of spying, being an informant for the FBI... I don't think he ever would have thought going to where it that went. it went where to where yeah. it went. Yeah, I mean, he probably initially thought he was like, I'll just you know tell him a few like pieces of information, tell mm-hmm. him where they you know where they are, what their because Agent Mitchell are, was like that. right, and Agent Mitchell was extremely vague about how long he was going to have to do this job and how how important he would be as a confidential informant. Mm-hmm. Because later when he said that he was out, he's like, "No, we got you for five years. You're supposed to be in prison for five years. Yep. That means you're here with us until the job is done, uh-huh. or five years is up." Yeah. So that was like, "What the fuck? You never said that." Yeah, and he wasn't very clear, which is another thing of like just the whole idea. Of the manipulation that comes into those CIs and just how True. how bad it is. True. That and it's possible that Agent Mitchell obvi- also didn't really know to the extent how much they were going to use this confidential informant. That's true. Right. That I mean, that's true. probably why he didn't lay out the ground rules or how long he was going to use them for, because he himself didn't know. He's only a cog in the machine at the bureau. Yeah. So that is true, because he, he yeah he was not aware of the full the depth of the plans nope. for sure. Nope. But. I mean, as, as the thing grew and as it got, you know, more detailed and then, you know, it can't turn to Hampton going to jail and then turn, you know, to Hampton potentially having to go to jail again is what he thought, but then it turned out to be him basically getting assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he didn't make different choices. And, and you could see that he regretted it while it was happening, but it's like regret with no action. Like, it, it, it just, it didn't matter. Like, it, it was sad to see, but... Um, the fact that he did nothing at the end of the day, it was, I mean, he basically just took the coward's way out. Yep. And I guess that's the explanation of his character throughout the entire movie. He took the coward's way out. And we saw it whenever he ran out of the Black Panthers, um, building, Mm -hmm. whenever they were fighting with the cops on the street. He literally was trying to find any way out of that situation that he could. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, don't worry, I'm going to go up on the roof. Like, you know, you'll see why later. And then he just ran out the back, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Uh, overall, yeah, it was it was a really good movie. Nothing was, and even though it was dealing with black and white stuff, nothing was black and white in this movie. Um, there's a lot of different opinions that you can have about certain characters, except for someone like the character of uh, J. Edgar Hoover. I mean, who was just portrayed as a piece of shit throughout the whole movie yeah but most of the people in this movie um you can relate to in many ways so no that is, that is what made it enjoyable that just the the overall humanization yep. of everyone and, yep and just i mean a good uh, a good story that i feel like is also not talked about as often as a lot of other yeah civil rights movement stories i personally did not know practically anything about this before i'd heard the, the I am revolutionary, I'd heard that before mm. in like a speech, 
but I I didn't know what it was connected to or yeah, what it was, it was from. And so hearing that and then seeing it and yeah, that was good. That like was I, good. I enjoyed just the fact that it was kind of a new, a fresher story. Yeah. Um, to see. And as far as films go, it's just really nice to have a good new movie to watch for once, especially on HBO Max specifically. You know, we had Wonder Woman's sequel, which stunk. We had The Little Things, which was okay, which but okay. big disappointment. Judas and the Black Messiah, I didn't really know what to expect. I was hopeful that it was going to be good, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. It's the first movie on HBO Max, HBO original movie. Or not HBO original, but the, with the Warner Bros. deal, first movie on HBO that I've actually enjoyed yeah. this year. Great. Uh, I mean, the the soundtrack was great. I love soundtrack the music was really that they good. had in it. Yeah. And again, like I said, I love the cinematography. The shots mm-hmm. were great. And a time period that I will never like not get tired of seeing yep. the the culture around There's everything. That always was, more to show. That, yeah, um, and I and part of that I guess is probably just because I was like my parents' era growing up. So just seeing you know the world that they grew up in. Yeah, I yeah I very much enjoyed the whole world that they built around it and the characters within the story. I did too. Um, favorite character? Oh, that's tough. That's tough because, like, I would I love to say Fred because of how much I enjoyed every time that mm-hmm. he basically opened up his mouth, like all the different speeches that he gave. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like a little kind of a cop out. Yeah, it's just a cop out because he yeah. was basically the center. And I guess I would I would have to just say Bill O'Neill just because of how much, uh, just as a character. Yeah. How, how much more exciting it was for me to see just knowing him playing both sides and. And being an audience member and understanding the pressure that he was under, because it's like when you know that he could potentially get out as a rat, mm-hmm. like the whole scene with him in the car, and they're like interrogating him yeah, about like the car. trying to hotwire the car. Hotwire the yeah. car, yeah. Like that was a great scene, and like him as a character and understanding the stress and like pressure he was probably feeling, because yes. you're kind of feeling that as well when you're watching it. Like I, I definitely enjoyed that. I agree. What about favorite moment? I the like, the whole bit with the Rainbow Coalition and the Damn whole it. I, I yeah, don't want to take your piece but like the whole uh, part of him you know bringing everybody together you know the Patriots the Crowns yeah uh, and then they're stand them standing outside of like City Hall or whatever that was that they were standing out in front of yeah and chanting together like that was uh, really impactful for me and probably just my favorite overall moment. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you in terms of character. I mean, it does feel like kind of a cop-out to go with Fred Hampton's character. Um, but I think when it, when you boil down, when you when it boils down, it's either Fred Hampton or Bill O'Neill because they each had so much screen time. Yeah. Um, I liked both of them almost equally for different reasons. Very different um, reasons, yeah. I probably would say that, though, I did prefer the scenes that were more focused on Fred Hampton just because, again, he was so, um, I don't know, he really just stole the scene. He just was such a powerful speaker. Daniel Kaluuya did a great job, um, you know, playing him. As far as the moment goes, yes, I loved the rainbow um, movement scene. I thought that was really cool. The other scene that really stands out to me for different reasons would be when um, Hoover brings Agent Mitchell in 
and asks him about what would you do if you if your daughter brought a black man home it was so tense and it really laid down the actual motives that hoover has and a lot of the fbi had at the time mm-hmm. towards black people because even though i was never buying it from the beginning that they saw the black panthers as a terrorist organization and whatever i never bought that but they really solidified that idea that he is just a blind racist um in yeah. that scene so i really enjoyed that scene too no absolutely and and it was you also see mitchell kind of like he, he kind of backs away from the situation he's like you know like what does that what does this have to do with anything because it was like yeah he clearly had a problem with it so it was nice to see uh, him kind of have a little bit of pushback because mm-hmm. I mean we're talking about him talking to the director of the FBI so sure. it's like to even question him in any sense kind of takes some balls so sure. uh, it was good to see his character that it was kind of play out like that but all in all great movie I really enjoyed it yeah do you know the uh, the next do you know what the next film to come out on HBO Max is going to be I'm um, not, I, I think it's I think it's Godzilla vs. Kong. That is the next one? Okay. I think there's only one movie in March. Okay. And then and April so is Mortal that, Kombat. Like, late, late March? Like March 30th or March 28th? I believe it's pretty late, yeah. Let me go look it up. Yeah, I am really looking forward to Godzilla vs. Kong and doing a, a binge with those movies. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about doing a Monsters Universe... Uh, Binge. Binge yeah. and covering those episodes, you know, you guys will have to let us know if uh, that's something you'd want to want to hear. We do uh, have a Twitter account that we will be responding to anything you guys, you know, want us to cover and talk For sure. about. Uh, so we'd love to give us a follow. The Twitter handle is just we watched. So if you guys want to find us there, but uh, appreciate you guys listening. No, do you have anything you want to add or talk about before we kind of wrap things up here? Hmm. No, I think we covered everything. This is probably our longest episode. I think so, but uh, yeah, it was great getting to hash out things. Took us a little bit longer to get this one out, just the different things going on this week. So we appreciate it again, and uh, we will talk to you guys about what we watch later. Yeah, talk to you guys later. You're taking me somewhere to kill me. No, I'm taking you someplace to talk. You are not in Kansas anymore. Is there something special about today? All I have for you is a word. Life, uh, finds a way. Tell it. This is the way. This is the way.